Hello and welcome to Act Age, a podcast where two adults dive into young adult books in order to discuss how their appeal transcends age and other boundaries. My name is Tasia. And I'm Corinne. And today we are talking about They Both Die at the End by Adam Silvera. But before we get into the book, as usual, Corinne, what are you obsessing over this week? So I read a couple of good things this week that I really enjoyed. The first, again, relevant to this podcast is a YA book. It's called Anatomy by Dana Schwartz. And thanks to Wednesday Books for the advanced copy of this book, which has maybe one of the most beautiful covers I've ever seen. It's like a woman in a red dress and it's shot from above and it's meant to look like a heart, which is like, like an anatomically correct heart, not like a cute heart, um, which is very appropriate for the book, which is about a 17 year old girl named Hazel living in early 1800s, Edinburgh. She is a lady set to marry her cousin someday who's going to be a Viscount. And she really, despite this, wants to be not just a doctor, but a surgeon, which is really looked down upon generally during those times, but especially, obviously, a young lady. She mm-hmm. decides anyway to go for her dreams, and she dresses like a boy to attend anatomy lessons being held by a famous doctor in Edinburgh, where she studies the human body. And this is where I'll give a caveat that if you're in any way, shape, or form squeamish about anatomical descriptions, <laughs> use caution of reading this book. Um, Her ruse is discovered. She's kicked out. She needs bodies to study for her upcoming physician's exam. So she befriends a resurrectionist is what they call them. Someone who steals bodies for science, um, steals them from their graves. That is another teenager named Jack. And of course they develop a friendship and then that turns into something more, but then they discover that something kind of insidious is going on in Edinburgh when it comes to a kind of plague that is uh, striking and really killing primarily the poor of Edinburgh. And they uh, seek out to figure out what's going on. This book was mostly like I was enjoying it. It was good. It was well written. The first half was kind of slow. The second half really started to pick up. But what I really loved about this book, and I will not spoil it, but it was the end was just like a gut punch in the best way. Like all of a sudden I had like a ton of feelings (laughs) and I was just like overwhelmed, particularly by the romance of it all. I And it's called Anatomy, a love story. Like that is its full title. And I shouldn't have been surprised by this, but oh my gosh, the end was beautiful. The epilogue was maybe my favorite epilogue I can think of that I've read. It was just the end floored me. It was so good. So it was worth the journey to get to that point. And uh, again, for that beautiful cover, although like this is great for the author, not great for readers. It is a Reese book pick for her YA club. So it has that annoying print on sticker (laughs) now on this beautiful, beautiful cover. But despite that, it's still worth checking out and maybe owning a copy of it just for cover alone. And then like the stunning epilogue and end of this book. Um, So that was really fun. And then I also read Weather Girl by Rachel Lynn Solomon. She is maybe best known in the adult world for her um, rom-com, The X-Talk, which came out last year. She also writes YA. So this is, I think, her second adult rom-com. And I liked The X-Talk. She's a great writer. The main character kind of annoyed me, and it kind of made me just like not love that book. This book, though... First of all, very intensely personal to Rachel and Solomon. She's been very clear on in the author's note at the beginning on social media. The main character, whose name is Ari, has depression. And that's something that Rachel and Solomon has and and has struggled with her whole life. And so that part of it was very intimately uh, handled and addressed and was really well done, I thought, um, in terms of handling Ari 
Ari struggles with her own depression and her mom's depression and how that affected her, her whole life. Um, Ari is a meteorologist for Seattle television station. And the love interest is Russ, who is a sportscaster at the same station. This was the first time I've ever read a fat male love interest in oh. a romance. I, I've definitely read, you know, you know, curvy girl romances where the, the heroine is, is fat and that's great from a body positivity standpoint. Um, but I've never seen the male interest, uh, be a fat character and I like loved him. This book was, first of all, he was great and I like loved him anyway. This book, the steam, I like was very warm reading this book like it like was very shocking to me like I it was just it was so good Russ like what is what a surprise like you are a babe and a half um he made it on to I'm this year tracking in my book journal book boyfriends I have for the year and he's made it onto that page Ooh. I'm trying to be very um diligent selective, or, yeah. uh, yes selective is a better word and who I put on that page because a I have limited room and b like not every boyfriend in a book can be my book boyfriend, right? But he is, he was so good. So I really check it out. If you were in any way hesitant after the X talk, which I thought was again, kind of a little bit of an uneven story. This one was just, it was so good. Did I read my favorite contemporary romance in January? I don't know. I might have, we'll see at the end of the year. Yeah. I have it on my list. I don't know. Uh, I think I checked to see if my library had it and they didn't. So I might end up having to just buy it. Yeah, it just came out like a week and a half ago. So maybe they just like didn't have it yet. Um, yeah. Know some some of our friends had advanced copies of it. Um, I know in particular two um, Jewish readers have loved the Jewish rep in this book. So that's another great thing to mention as well. Um, yeah, so I, I, it was just a really good surprise of a book. I really liked it. Tasia, what are you obsessing over these days? I finally got around to reading The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet by Becky Chambers. Um, I think it was originally self-published and then it kind of got a like a, a major publishing house revamp. So it's got like a new cover and stuff, but it's a series. I think each book is kind of a, it works as a standalone, but it's like um, ancillary characters from like the original. Um, but it's great. It's basically like a queer fam- found family interspecies in space kind of thing and uh it's like guardians the galaxy kind of yeah I, I guess yeah um but it's it's basically this team um their job is to create tunnels in space uh like to punch holes um and create like wormholes basically uh for people to be able to like travel great distances in just a few seconds so it's like a super dangerous job, but they're like this little ragtag team and all these different species and stuff. And I don't know, there's just a lot of really great conversations about like, like what it means to be human or what it means to be, what do they call it? Not sentient, but um, I don't know, the, you know, creatures like that. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it was really nice found family, like really, really sweet. There's like some romance in there. It's like queer and interspecies romance, which is really cool. Um, I don't know. It's, uh, all about like accepting differences of, of appearance and belief and all kinds of stuff. And it's very funny, super right. funny. Cool. I'll check it out. Cause again, I trust you most yeah. implicitly of, of any. Yeah. And I mean, reader. like it, it went on my very, very short list of, uh, favorite sci-fi books. It, like immediately right. sci-fi is not a genre that I 
vibe with all the time. Yeah, me either. Um, it's a very short list, but uh, it went immediately on it. Excellent. Excellent. And then I guess the other thing that I'm obsessing about is uh, I got a puppy. puppy. And like literally just yesterday, ah! uh, she's a 10-week-old Newfie. And uh, she's she's so much. She's going to be massive, but she's really energetic now and likes to chew on stuff and poop in the house. But, you know. You know, it's it's fine. She's worth it. Listeners, yeah. you will not have heard, but it is on this recording. Someone maybe will release it someday. It's like but, <laughs> me reacting to my first sight of the puppy on camera. My puppy niece. I love her. <laughs> she's so cute a worthwhile obsession the best obsession a lifelong yes yes puppy so if there's like intermittent squealing during this podcast it could be because of the book it could be because puppy walks into the frame yeah it's it is what it is i am i'm only human and i'm very (laughs) susceptible to puppy charms so it's what it is so well puppy's crying oh no puppy she wants to be on the podcast all right so Let's talk about this book. As we said in our last episode, like leading into this book, we chose this one because it has had a kind of a renaissance. I mean, it's always been really popular since it came out in 2017, uh, but it was the number one best-selling YA book of 2021, which is like so wild for a four plus year old book. Yeah. And it's going to be an HBO mini series, half hour mini series. That was announced in 2021, and I was looking at the book's Wikipedia page, and it literally says, like, book talk brought it back. Um, So we'll dive into our summary now, as we always do, and then we're going to talk about, you know, why this book has had such staying power and why it's been so popular again before we get into our more specific thoughts about the book. So with that, I will read this quick book summary, which I think I stole from supersummary.com. Here we go. (laughs) Mateo receives a call from Deathcast informing him that he is going to die a little after midnight on September 5th, 2017. At first, Mateo wants to spend the day tucked away in his bedroom, but because it is his last day alive, he pushes himself to try to make the most of his final 24 hours. He joins the app Last Friend, which pairs Deckers, those are set to die that day, with other individuals who are looking for companionship on their end day. Through last friend, Mateo meets Rufus, another Decker who got the call from Deathcast while he was in the middle of beating up Peck, the current boyfriend of Rufus's ex, Amy. After the assault on Peck, Rufus is on the run from the police and cannot spend his end day with his best friends, Tago and Malcolm. Mateo and Rufus make plans to meet. Mateo insists that Rufus pick him up at his apartment. At 3.30 a.m., Rufus arrives at Mateo's apartment. They begin their day with a visit to Mateo's father in the hospital where he is in a coma following a stroke. After they see Mateo's best friend, Lydia, they visit a -a make-a-moment virtual reality station to go skydiving. Finally, they visit Mateo's mother in Evergreen Cemetery. Mateo sees that alongside his mother's grave, there is another grave being dug for himself. The more time Mateo and Rufus spend together, the bolder Mateo becomes and the deeper their friendship grows. There is an intense connection forming between them. Before leaving the cemetery, Mateo and Rufus chat about the afterlife while sitting inside Mateo's freshly dug grave. At 12.22 p.m., it is about halfway through their end day. Mateo wants to visit the World Travel Arena. On the way there, they stop at a pier along the Hudson River where Rufus contemplates the death of his parents and sister. Mateo hops on the back of Rufus's bike and together they ride to a nearby park where Rufus gives his bike to someone who admires it. Mateo and Rufus meet up with Lydia 
again at the World Travel Arena, where the group selects the virtual reality experience to tour the world in 80 minutes. They finished their time there with a waterfall jump. Afterward, Mateo, Rufus, and Lydia had to Clint's graveyard, a club for Deckers. Rufus posts a picture from the bar. Peck, who wants revenge after Rufus assaulted him, sees the picture and heads to Clint's graveyard with a loaded gun. At 5.14 p.m., Mateo and Rufus perform a karaoke version of American Pie by Don McLean at Clint's graveyard, and everyone in the audience is moved by their performance. When the song ends, Mateo works with courage to kiss Rufus. Tago, Malcolm, and Amy arrive at Clint's graveyard to say their final goodbyes to Rufus. When Peck and his gang shows up, Peck goes to shoot Rufus, but commotion ensues and Mateo and Rufus manage to flee the club. Mateo and Rufus retreat to Mateo's apartment where they lie in bed and profess their love for one another. Both wish they had met each other sooner. They fall asleep on Mateo's bed and Mateo wakes up from the nap before Rufus to make tea. When he goes to ignite the gas burner on the stove, the apartment erupts in flames. Mateo is killed instantly and Rufus wakes up moments later, dazed in the smoke. He is devastated by Mateo's death. After Rufus goes to the hospital to tell Mateo's father goodbye, fulfilling Mateo's last wish, the novel ends with Rufus putting on his headphones so he can listen to a recording of Mateo's voice as he crosses the street without checking for cars first. <laughs> ah, like, <laughs> so let's talk first, I guess, about our reactions to this book, because I know you had read it before. And I had an interesting experience when I like finished it yesterday. And at first I was kind of like, oh, I don't know that I really loved this because I was, I think I was expecting it to hurt me way more than it did. And I love a good cry and yeah. I like didn't super cry. And at first I was like, oh, is it because I anticipate, like I knew like it's right there spelled out for you. Like they yeah. will die then they're going to die, but that's not true because like in the fault in our stars, for instance, which we covered here, like I knew that Augustus was going to die and it still totally destroyed me. And I think it's just very interesting how this book ultimately is really super hopeful and it's about their journeys. And at the end, they find happiness together, even though they're obviously sad about the fact that they're going to die. And I think that that is almost more of an impressive feat mm -hmm. than if it was just like pure devastation. Yeah, it's like the, I mean, their whole, the whole point for them getting together basically was that so they could, you know, live an entire lifetime in a single day and they do. And it's just really incredible. Like the, the feats that they accomplish and, and the like character arcs that they go through in just a single, like less than 24 hour period. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say like, in some ways, this is kind of akin to me in the experience of reading, like. Simon versus the homo sapien agenda by Becky Albertalli, which is another like big classic YA queer YA book specifically. Mm -hmm. And Becky and Adam Silvera actually have written a couple books together. Um, but it felt the same to me in terms of like the writing is good, but not like the best writing I've ever read yeah. in my life. And like, it just didn't like really stick with me, but I can see how Im important it is. And the, but the more I'm being removed from this book, the more, I'm, I'm liking it and kind of like in awe of what he was able to pull off with it. And obviously I think to the fact that both Mateo and Rufus are queer characters of color is a huge thing too, that can't be understated. And I think is very impactful for a lot of people. So I think that plays into kind of why it is so popular, but should we talk about the book talk of it all? Cause like, that's wild to me that they yeah. like brought this book back. 
It's wild. It's like I I've been on book talk for a while and I don't remember really ever seeing a whole lot of conversation around this book. I don't know why, if there's like just a different kind of book talk that I'm on, but yeah, I don't get it. Cause I'm, I'm very much like into, into queer book talk, but yeah, I had no idea that book talk had kind of blown this book up again. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to ask you what you've seen on book talk about it because you were way more um, on TikTok than I am. And yeah. I just, yeah, because I'm trying to figure out, you know, what specifically, maybe particularly teens, this super appeals to them, like why it super appeals to them. And I, I do think as we go through this podcast journey together, there's definitely YA that as adults reading feels very important to us, even though we're adults and we're not the intended audience. And then there's also YA that's like the kids can have this one, like, and it's not, it's not meant for me. And I feel like this book kind of falls in that latter category Mm -hmm. personally. So like, and that's fine. I mean, maybe that's just how we have to look at it is like, yeah, it definitely does feel younger, younger. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. And that's fine. I mean, that's great. And mm-hmm. that's not to say it wasn't a good book. I mean, I yeah, it doesn't need star. to be for us. It yeah, doesn't need still... to be. Yeah. The kids can have this one. Although I will say I'm super excited for an adaptation of this mm-hmm. because I think that what for me was, again, maybe lacking was some of the the writing. I mean, there's some really beautiful passages, but like oh, on the whole, the writing was just like fine to me. And I feel like sometimes seeing an individual medium can like be more impactful than the written word in some cases. And I feel like maybe that there's potential for that here. Yeah, totally. So I think that will be really great. I did want to note too, just again, given the age of this book, I was just looking up the Wikipedia to read about it and noted that this book was published on September 5th, 2017, which is also the day that this book takes place like that is their end day and I like love that symmetry and made yeah. me very emotional to read it uh, that's like kind of genius marketing publishing strategy there I think uh I love that I think we also want to talk before we get into Mateo and Rufus about our thoughts on Deathcast and what we think about that and whether we think it's a good idea yes looking at our notes I think we're split on this one well, as I was reading, like at first, I'm like, oh, that's a good, because I think part of it, there is an appeal, definitely, mm-hmm. just because I think I like the idea of giving people the opportunity to do what they want on the day that they're going to die, like live it how they want to. Like, you know, I would hate if I died after working a nine hour shift, you know? Yeah. Oh, what a waste of my last nine hours. And I also like that it provides people like a really easy way to take care of their advanced directives and stuff, mm-hmm. um, get all of that kind of like important things out of the way, um, uh, make their amends, whatever they need to do. I like that, but I do think that in the end, it, it's just kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy yeah. and that creates a lot of issues. Um, because I think a lot of people are dying because they are told they're going to die. So they're changing their plan or they're not changing their plan because, you know, or they're even committing suicide because they're like, fuck it. Um, right. Yeah. I think there's just a lot of like ethical questions there. Also like, how are they getting this information? Nobody knows. Literally nobody knows. And yeah. That's a big question mark. And I don't know, like, I just think that if, if somebody calls me and is like, oh, you're going to die sometime in the next 24 hours, you know, and I have a a trip planned. I'm like, okay, well, obviously the trip is going to kill me. So I'm going to cancel the trip. But then it's like, well, what if canceling the trip kills me? So I should go on the trip. And then it's just like, you know, 
you're going to die no matter what is eventually the solution you get to. One of the things that kind of broke my brain is like that same sort of like philosophical exercise that's set out by, I think Mateo mentions his teacher assigned them like projects, like how would 9-11 and these like events of mass disaster be different if death cast existed? And I'm, then I like went down a rabbit hole of like, well, do they even happen anymore? Because if you are told that you're going to die the day, like who's going to work? I think there's Mm -hmm. one instance of like the cop is going to go because he like wants to spend his last day, like helping people. And like, that's nice, but like, who's going to go to work? Like would all those people have gone to work in the twin towers things? So my, my, my mind was like spiraling thinking of the implications of it. And they also bring up like, oh, Deckers should wear some sort of like identifying markers so that they don't all collect in the same place because that's going to signal like, oh, this is obviously where a disaster happens. And I was thinking too, like, do they enforce like a no Deckers flying rule? Like, like yeah. you can't have a bunch of Deckers on an airplane because obviously that airplane's going down. Right. Like, or, or like when they get on the bus in that one scene, then they mm-hmm. ask the driver if he got the call that day and he's like, no. So like, okay, we're good to ride this bus. Like it was just my overall takeaway was that I would not want this. I think I would be very much like Mateo in like the spiraling at the beginning. Yeah. I would just stay home all day and read. That's all I would do. Yeah. It would be really, really hard for me to conceptualize that. And one of the things I think is great about this book, and we'll talk about it more in detail is like how naturally it sidelines everyone else in their life so that they can be put together and put in this position where they are forced to confront their own issues and progress through them. But like, that's probably not the case for most people. For most people, Mm -hmm. it's probably like poor Lydia's situation where like her boyfriend was like rushing to try to get back to her and dies in that way. And so it's like probably like a lot of stress and you're, you're really worried about trying to get to those people. And it's just like, I'm, I'm not, cool with that also mm-hmm. the whole secondary market surrounding death cast and like Decker's oh, yeah. made me very uncomfortable like there's so many things in this book about things that are catered specifically for for Decker's and a lot of them are cheaper like are they're like discounted or free for Decker's like the travel experience thing but then it's still like 100 plus dollars for Lydia to go as a visitor mm-hmm. And so they're obviously all marketing and and banking on people being willing to just like throw cash away at the end of their lives because why yeah. not? And like that whole thing made me very uncomfortable. It's very icky, but it's also very true to how oh, yeah. that actually go down. Absolutely. And like some of the other apps, like Last Friend seems great, but mm-hmm. there's one like it's called like Necro. Necro. <laughs> <laughs> where people can just like find someone to bang it out with. I just, it's, and then like these, um, what do they call them? Bangers? Like the deckers who like want to go out with a bang and they like organize like these huge, like events of mass chaos to end their lives when they get the call. And so there's just like a lot of things that I just, it does not, I don't care for it. The last friend serial killer. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Horrifying. So yeah, I, I, I don't think I would want this, but it's a very interesting thought exercise. And that I think in and of itself is a great thing that this book does because yeah. it is an approach to the morality of death economy, I guess, uh, which is very fascinating. Yeah. At the end, I think it come down on the side of no death cast in the beginning. I, you know, I can see the, the benefits to it, but it's definitely outweighed by the, the cons. Yeah. That's sad. That's the world these two babies live in. And I, first of all, 
before we even get into talking about them specifically, I think it's like horrible how much this system has already affected their young lives and like how they both have had such loss. Um, you know, Mateo's mom died in birth with him, which is a different type of grief. But then like he has Lydia who lost her boyfriend, Christian, in a very tragic fashion right before their daughter was born. And his father is in a coma. And then we have Rufus, whose whole family dies with him in front of him in this drowning car. And it's just horrific that these two have already had to go through this. And in the in the case of Rufus's family, like they got the call, so they knew they were going to die, and he knew they were going to die. Um, and, and then they both are gonna die, and they're 17, 18. It's just like so needlessly cruel for both of them already that they're gonna mm-hmm. die. And then they all they both had all this other tragedy in their lives. And it's it's very upsetting to me. Yeah. It's funny because I before I reread this book, I I remember I thought I remembered that both uh Rufus and Mateo die in the fire at the end mm. and I was like well at least they tie together they don't have to watch each other die I had completely like blacked out the fact that Rufus had to like contend with Mateo's death and to like hold his dead body his burned body and then go to the hospital after like I had completely I think it was just too traumatic and I completely well- blacked it out Yeah. And it's really unfair, again, given that he was the one who already had to watch loved ones die in front of him and be the one left alone. And that's just so cruel. It's so so Uh, upsetting. Why could they not have died together? I I mean, it's good that he he got to go and talk to Mateo's father, like leave him a note, which is nice, but all, but Jesus Christ, I know how awful. I know it it made me really sad. The only, the, I guess the good thing is, and you kind of see this and I guess let's talk about Rufus then, because one of the things I think is, is great then about that ending is like, he has better tools at his disposal, even though it's only for a short period of time to process and handle Mateo's death versus how he was able to process and handle his parents and his Mm -hmm. sister's death, which is his journey in this book. Right. I mean, he kind of turned into this person that, um, he didn't like, uh, where he's just like needlessly beating up his ex-girlfriend's boyfriend because he's pissed that she's moved on. And, you know, that's him as a direct result of his, his trauma of being in this car where his parents and his sister died in front of him. And, you know, he doesn't self-destruct at all. And I was, kind of, you know, there, there's a, a version of this book where that's how he dies. Then at the end is yeah. Teo dies and he's like, fuck it. I'm leaving this world. And he doesn't, he dies because he's wrapped up in, in love and, and missing mm-hmm. Mateo and he's just not paying attention. And, um, I think that that's a, a nice capper to yeah. his arc. A nice also fun note that both of their deaths are foreshadowed really Mm -hmm. early on like um in the beginning Mateo's playing a video game and his video game character dies uh by explosion which is how he dies and then when he and Rufus meet up at one point Mateo like you know sticks his arm out in front of Rufus because he's about to walk into the street without looking and yeah that's how he dies in the end because he didn't have anybody to hold him back yeah (laughs) um I also just really love like the effect of Mateo on Rufus. Like we have that scene early on where the first thing they do is like Mateo wants to bury this dead bird 
and Rufus rolls with him. He's like, he's so pure. And then they also have the scene where there's this homeless guy and Mateo wants to give him money. And Rufus is like, nah, like we're not going to do that. Um, and they have this great conversation about like passing judgment on people. And so I love how that then manifests in Rufus giving away his bike Mm -hmm. to a stranger, um, his like most prized possession and his, his tool for escape from the cops at the beginning of this book, but also like, he just really loves to ride and he goes on one last ride and very maturely gives it away to someone who wants it. And it's, it's so nice. It is. They have such a great effect on each other. Yeah. That comes through to, um, towards the end. I don't remember exactly the scene it was, but I think it was after they rode the bike together and um, Mateo was like, oh, were were there any other surprises today? Like kind of a leading question. And um, Rufus is just like, oh no, is that right after he gives the bike away? He's like, yeah, I gave my bike away. And he knows that that Mateo was asking a leading question. Yeah. But he thinks, I know what he's really asking, but I don't take the bait. He's got to make a move himself. I'm not robbing him of that moment. It's too big. And I love that because, well, I love, first of all, that like Rufus can see that that's happening. And, and Rufus knows that if he were to make the move, it would be accepted. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't want to make the move simply because he he wants Mateo to have that for himself. He wants him to have that like bold moment um, on his last day. And I think it's just, uh, it's just really good. It is really good. Like the kind of casual queerness of the book, like it is a queer mm-hmm. love story, but it's not in any way, shape or form the about being yeah yeah the focus of this book at all I mean we get Rufus like sharing about how he told his sister and then told his parents on their end day that he was by and how that was really important to him and you know all along there's hints you know of Mateo being like I, I should sell, tell someone I should you know should tell my dad like and mm-hmm. he's asking kind of probing questions about it and so that ultimately makes that um, a really big moment for them but before we talk about Mateo this also I'm talking about like how funny I found Rufus. I texted you at one point. I'm like, he's exactly the type of like stubborn shit had with a soft side that we mm-hmm. love. And so naturally I loved him, but I also loved the comedic relief he provided in this book. I want to highlight the moment. Well, first of all, I love the idea that he had been taking photographs for his Instagram in black and white because when his family died, like it was like all the color left the world and Mateo encourages him to take pictures in color on their end day. And so he's, he's documented the whole day and he takes a picture of Mateo sleeping on the train and they're like stuck in a blackout, like on the subway. And so he, he, this is what it happens. I aim in the darkness and take his picture, the flash blinding me a moment later, no joke, the trains light and fans come back on and we continue moving. I'm a wizard. I mutter no shit. I discover I have superpowers on my end day. I wish someone got that on camera. I could have gone viral. <laughs> like the wonder that he has in that moment. <laughs> so I like, oh, I did this. Oh, it's so good. But then, like, he's also very insightful. I loved his con- like their conversation about whether there's an afterlife. And Rufus is like, this is, I think there are two. And this is the first one because this whole system is so weird that we get this day to like live out the rest of our fantasies and our lives and, and wrap things up before we actually die. And I actually kind of like that as what is happening here because it's very bizarre that this even exists. And so yeah. I'm, I'm team Rufus on that one. I like that a lot too. I also like, I am like happily an atheist, but this book really makes me wish that there was an afterlife because I need Mateo and Rufus to find each other. There's all that talk about them 
uh, looking for each other in the afterlife and it just yeah it hurts I have that as one of my favorite quotes and I'll explain the reason why it particularly affected me when we get there but yeah, yeah I, I totally agree I they need to have more time together I 100% agree um before we again move on to Mateo I need to talk about the Plutos because for me that was my absolute favorite part of this book mm-hmm. like I love the found family and I love the friendship aspects of most books but like this crew in particular just really tugged at my heartstrings. The little, like, the short chapter that we get from, I think it's Tago's POV where they're in jail, the, the sacrifice they make to like go to jail so that Rufus can live his end day without the police coming after him and the fact that the police officer then lets them out. Like it all just really, um, really tugged at my heartstrings. Like, then like, I was like Mateo when, the Pluto's call like Mateo has tears in his eyes because he knows how much it means to Rufus that they're out and they can come meet him and like there's this moment at the club oh my god and Rufus is looking at them all and he's like Tago looks like he wants to pet me Malcolm (laughs) and I'm just like oh my god it's just it's so cute I'm I so that was like the happiest moment for me at the um that they got to have that time together um at the end because oh man they really that and meet so Lydia much. and Mateo too. Yeah. And have that kind of expand their group. Like, and it just makes me, I hope that like those two groups stay in touch. Yeah, after. Because Lydia needs someone and they say to Mateo and Lydia, you guys are honorary Pluto. So it just like really mm-hmm. gets me too. Um, yeah, it just, it, it's really, it's really sad. Like the, all of them have for various reasons ended up in foster care together. And so that's like really your ultimate found family, right? Like it's just, yeah. Like, had to deal with so much um and then I guess last thought on Rufus because I saw your note about his language yeah it just it it sounds a little bit artificial to me like I don't know it sounds sort of put on it's a bit it sounds to me like what someone thinks that like teenage straight slang sounds like and it just I don't know, like Hallmark movie version of, of what yeah. they think, like a kid in foster care is going to talk like, I don't know. It's, it, it feels very put on, um, you know, but I'm not the authority on this. So I don't know. It just yeah. felt a little artificial to me. Yeah. It's kind of get a, it's kind of hard to get a read on Rufus's background because it's like, and not to like pass judgments or, you know, generalize about, you know, people who speak that way, but like, he has a, a nuclear family and he, he, they, they live in an apartment. We don't know much about like, no, yeah, they had a cabin in the mountains. So like, yeah. So it's like, where they went skiing from? a lot. Yeah, I don't know. Expensive, so yeah. The reason I wanted to bring it up though, is because if you watched euphoria, I haven't. Okay. So I'm like, I, I just binged it all recently and season two is currently airing. So it's very fresh in my mind. One of my favorite characters on this show is this character named Fez, who is Zendaya's drug dealer. He speaks like Rufus to me, not like constantly all the time. And I think f- because I have him f- top of mind, like the show is currently airing. I'm, mm-hmm. I, it seems more real to me. So you should watch that show anyway. It's a great show, yeah. but I'm like, Oh, okay. Like this is, I can kind of see more where Adam Silvera was going, but I, I don't disagree with you. Like there's way more like yo's thrown in than there should be. Yeah. Yeah. And I think also that that kind of thing, it just doesn't translate that well on paper. Like Absolutely. if you hear somebody speaking that, yeah. um, like in person or just, uh, on film or whatever, it, 
it seems more authentic. Yeah. But on paper, it seems very, I don't know, put on. Yeah. Uh, I totally... It does. It does allow the book to have very distinctive voices between the two, which I mean, could be which a problem having them be yeah. similar age. Um, it, it, they could struggle with like a, a too similar voice and they don't. So yeah, there's don't. that. So we talk about Mateo now. Yeah. Uh, so Mateo is like, again, as I said, how he reacts to the beginning is how I would react. I think as well, like a panic attack and just kind of like, I'm just going to stay put in my nuclear, like, space and like not leave. And I feel like also how he lived his life to that point, age 18 is not like dissimilar to how I probably was as a teenager and just being like very risk averse. Like I'm kind of a social butterfly and I'm still kind of risk averse, but like I was especially that way. In, so I, I wasn't like the same way he like really only has Lydia. He doesn't have a huge friend group. Like I was a little different than that, but I definitely was like so anxious about like anything like mm. doing anything so I just really related to that aspect of and then it was so rewarding to see him break out of that shell awesome oh I love yeah it. I I have I think I was more of a Rufus when I was a teenager like I had this kind of reckless I don't give a shit if I die thing going on and now I'm much more of a Mateo like I'm afraid of everything um so Mateo in early, early book, Mateo drove me a little bit nuts just because uh, it was one of those things where I just, I didn't like that mirror. And I was like, oh, you're so annoying. Why don't you just get up and go do things? Why do you have to sit there and like waffle over everything? And I'm like, that's because what I would do. And it's something I don't like about myself, but yeah. Um, yeah, that was one of the reasons too, why I was like, oh, death cast could be good because if I knew I wasn't going to die on any given day, I would be much more open to doing things in general. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really interesting part of like Mateo's story because he has that exact thought and he's been Mm -hmm. very into like following Decker's blogs on their end day and like, just like living vicariously through others. And it, part of it is a presumption that he'll always have more time. He's only 18 years old. And obviously that's not the case, but yeah, it, that is a really interesting point about like how, if you know, you're not going to die, like why, risk it. Why would anything hold you back? Right. Like, I don't know. Like he has that moment where he says like, Oh, I wish I had lived invincibly on the days that I didn't get an alert. And I felt that man, if I, if I knew I wasn't going to die, then I'd go for it. But the book does acknowledge like to like, I think maybe it's when they're going to do the cliff dive or cliff jump or whatever, like Mm -hmm. that Lydia, I mean, she's not going to die that day. She didn't get the call, but she could still be like really, really hurt. <laughs> like yeah. the next day could be your death day. So it's like, right. you right. know, th- that's the thing you always have to balance. But yeah, I think the moments that we're trying with Mateo at the beginning that you're just kind of like, Oh, come on, kid, like get on the back of his bike, right. like, make the scene that when he ultimately does get on the back of the bike. Mm-hmm. So great. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, it's really and- nice to be able to track that progress. Yeah. And again, we you know we mentioned how the 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 queerness of this book is not super the forefront, but really loved how Mateo ultimately did come out here. It was beautiful. Um, it was just like a good moment. I have a quote from it um, off the cuff there, but like I just I love how he basically breaks. He kisses Rufus and then is like, "I've talked to Lydia." Like, cause he's just like, "I need to like get this out there." And it's, it's so well seated. Like that moment you mentioned of like, this is something Mateo has to work for. And I'm so proud of him for ultimately giving himself that at the end because he talks mm-hmm. a lot about 
how he wanted love and what love would mean, but he never got there. And he, that's really sad to him. And yeah, it was, it was really lovely. I, I did wonder, and it's funny because Rufus thinks that at the end, like, is Mateo taking me back to his apartment for sex? Like, <laughs> and that's not what happens and that's fine and a great choice. And I'm, it, that's not really what's important at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't have hated if it had gotten in that direction mm-hmm. for them. I also just really love like Godfather Mateo um, being so great with baby Penny. Like that just uh. really, it's so unfair. I keep thinking about Lydia and like, I how, keep thinking about Lydia too. Oh, oh, my she's God. lost to everybody. Like it's so horrible. The um, only person in her life her way lost her grandmother. Yeah. And like, <laughs> yeah, well, like, that implies that she's probably older. Yeah. Hopefully yeah. she has the Plutos now. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. It just, the friends, the friend stuff here was really good. And like I said, it's just really genius how they sidelined all the other characters. I really appreciated Mateo's journey of initially being like, I don't want to spoil my last moments with Lydia by telling her that I got the call, but then mm-hmm. she figures it out and he blocks her. And eventually he's like, no, I need to see her. Um, and so that leads to the, a, the reunion at the club for all of them is so good. Uh, and it feels so natural that that would be his reaction. Like mm-hmm. he just doesn't want to spoil it. Um, and then we have, you know, the Pluto sideline too. And it, it's just, it's very artfully crafted. I guess we can yeah. talk to you about all the other POV chapters that we get mm-hmm. here and all the ways all these other side characters are connected in. Cause that, you know, when you're reading it for maybe you felt differently on a reread, but when you were reading it for the first time, I'm kind of like, all right, I want to get back to my voice here. Like mm-hmm. I don't care about these side characters, but they all do tie in, in a really clever way. Yeah, I think it was really well done the way that um, all these different lives are intersecting and influencing each other's and kind of leading to this big, inevitable, horrible end. Yeah, yeah. But like the Howie Maldonado guy, uh, you know, he he was the one who wrote, uh, I miss you, Lena, call me on that phone booth. And he thinks about that in his last POV chapter before he dies about he's, you know, off to meet Lena and how he used to write her name on the thing. And then the guy that was in Peck's gang who um, Mateo had given his sneakers off of his feet to after he'd gotten jumped and had his sneakers stolen. And that's why he like pulled his punch at the end. And and yeah. that's how Mateo and Rufus were able to get away the second time. Can we just say, though, like, fuck Peck. Like, holy shit. Fuck I, Peck. Oh, my God. Like, <laughs> I just kept thinking, like, and it's awful because he's a teenager too. And I'm just like, why isn't it your fucking death day, you piece of shit? Like, you know, I mean, first of all, Amy, like, don't bring your fucking boyfriend to your ex boyfriend's funeral. Yeah. He sat there and, like, even if you don't expect him to fucking call the cops on him, this is still a guy that beat up your current boyfriend. Why are you, like, man, deal with that on another day? Deal with that on another day when this dude is dead. Do not. Oh my God. Yeah. That. I, I have a hard time, I think, too, with the, I mean, obviously, like, we're not murderers. So, like, I have a hard time with, like, the concept of, like, I'm going to kill someone. What Mm -hmm. I really don't get, I think, is this idea of, like, a teenager just being, like, you disrespect me. I'm going to kill you. Like, what? Um, I don't know if you ever watched Cobra Kai, but that is my current issue and why I stopped watching that show. Because literally, these teenagers are, like, I'm going to kill you because you like hooked up with this boy I like what (laughs) what like I don't need like light murder in my like teen content I just I just don't 
me casual murder um in this way so just that like is it's a a great plot device because you're so anxious you know the anxiety of this book is not that they're gonna die I mean obviously they're going to but it's like how Mm -hmm. and so you see the lead up and like oh my god Pac's like stalking him trying to find him and that's not ends up that's not what happens and that's a great moment for Mateo where he punches Peck and Ruby's like don't punch someone with a gun (laughs) um but it was uh oh that's such a good scene that whole everything about the club from the scene to the end it's so it's so good yeah yeah, it's so that was my one thing. I mean, I get, he serves an important plot purpose, but like, I'm just like, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, I do think it's nice that, like, I mean, because this book is very anxious because you don't know how they're going to die or when they're going to die. So, like, every moment just feels very fraught um, every time. And they keep, like, very, you know, treading, like, alongside death the entire time. Like, they're just, they're next to an explosion, an explosion that kills a bunch of other people yeah. next to, like, car accidents next to all this other stuff that happens um so obviously there is like this thread of anxiety running through the whole thing but I think it's done in a way that it really doesn't take away from the story which is about Rufus and Mateo connecting yeah and and with each other and and living out this lifetime lifetime in a single day yeah Uh, it could easily be just completely overridden by the anxiety of it especially for people like me that are already highly anxious. Yeah. I think too, again, I'm, I feel like I was hypocritical of the writing, like when I first put this book down, but I do think there's something to be said about how this book is kind of elegant in its simplicity in terms mm-hmm. of like, it's kind of a slow build. And it's only when you stop to look back at the whole picture of it that you're like, oh, this is very deftly crafted mm-hmm. and really doesn't it walks a very fine line between totally sinking you into anxiety versus remaining very hopeful and it's yeah. just it's a great balance and it that's very artfully done should we talk about superlatives yeah all right favorite quote i think we each have three so that works out well would you like to go first sure all right so this is um this is mateo kind of right after he finds out that he's gonna die he thinks, because I refused to live invincibly on all the days I didn't get an alert, I wasted all those yesterdays and I'm completely out of tomorrows. Just, yeah. Womp, womp. <laughs> um, I have a funny one. This is Lydia um, and her daughter, Penny. She leans over, picks up Penny and holds her out to me. Penny, for your thoughts, we both cringe. That is never going to be funny, is it? I just keep going for it, hoping that the next time will be it, but no. <laughs> <laughs> See, I would do that all the time and I would laugh every time. I know. I would find it funny every time. Yeah. Um, This is when they go to a bookstore and Mateo thinks maybe a book, a bookshelf will topple over and that's how I go out painful, but there are worse ways to die. I mean, retweet. Yeah, totally. I loved that. Like there's a moment at the beginning where Mateo is like in his room and he's looking at like his favorite shelf and then all these books he's never read. And he just kind of is paralyzed. Like, there's no way I can read them all. I'm like, oh my that God. would be me the entire day. I know. I know. It's funny. Cause I literally was just listening to this episode of um, the podcast faded mates, which is a romance uh, novel podcast. And the topic of the day was breaking case of emergency. It's like, what books are you holding on to for when you really need them? Like, a, like by a favorite author, et cetera. And there was mm-hmm. a whole like discussion about like, well, what if you don't ever read it then? Like what if something happens and you die? And so I was already like thinking of these things. And then this just like 
spiraled into my brain yeah. then. I was like, oh my God, I have to read all the things. <laughs> I would just like nonstop be thinking about all the book series that I'm in the middle of that I'll never finish. And it oh, yeah. would completely drive me crazy. I would spend that entire day DMing authors and asking yeah. how their series ends. Yeah. I'm gonna die. There you go. And what I think is clever too about this book, and we didn't look it up. There is a way to like look up if someone is a doctor, like yeah, there's there's yeah. like a like safeguard a in place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like I was gonna say, like a, an author might not believe you, but then they could just like look up on the Deathcast website or whatever yeah. and like find okay, like Maggie Seabotter would then tell us what happens to Ronan Lynch in the yes, last year. Please. So anyway. Uh, George. Yeah. At least when, <laughs> yeah. winds of winter, Drew spring. Uh, someday maybe. All right. This is a, a part we already talked about. This is I'm talking about meeting in the afterlife. But if for some reason this plan doesn't work, we need to promise to find each other in the afterlife. There has to be an afterlife, Rufus, because it's the only thing that makes dying this young fair. Rufus nods. I will make it so easy for you to find me. Neon signs, marching bands. Good, because I might not have my glasses, I say. Not sure if they'll ascend with me. And like, this is what my note says. I love the teasing in this moment. It's very like, cute, the bantering. But it also gutted me because I am of the my girl, quote, he can't see without his glasses, end quote, generation. Mm-hmm. And that I will always forever be traumatized when it comes to anything that hints at the end of my girl. And so the idea that poor Mateo is going to go to heaven without his glasses and not be able to see Rufus hurt me. Yeah. Hurt yeah. me. Did I watch a YouTube clip of that scene after I finished this book? I did. I hate what? myself. I don't know. What a fucking masochist. I don't. You can't see what that was. R.I.P. Thomas J. Um, anyway. Your turn. Hi, this is Mateo again. There are questions I can't answer. I cannot tell you how you will survive without me. I cannot tell you how to mourn me. I cannot convince you to not feel guilty if you forget the anniversary of my death or if you realize days or weeks or months have gone by without thinking about me. I just want you to live. Lovely. (laughs) Oh, God. Um, I think he's talking to Lydia in that moment. Mm -hmm. And I think that what's great, too, about the fight scene at the club is that it kind of breaks them away without any, like, final goodbye. Like they just have a lovely last moment with their friends and then they get to, to, they have to skedaddle and that works out really well. I yeah. Think. I think so too, because I think it would be a bit overwrought if you yeah. had to go through multiple, like last moment ever moments. Yeah. Um, my last favorite quote is also the Mateo to Lydia moment and it's his coming out. I think I was waiting around for a reason, something beautiful and awesome to accompany any declaration. It's Rufus. oh my god that's good good stuff that's what i mean by like little moments little lines i'm like shit i'm silvera that was really good all right um favorite character in arc i think they both take it honestly i mean rufus probably takes it more for favorite character but they both have just incredible arcs also you know shout out to lydia because she's out there doing the single mom thing has lost her her boyfriend has now lost her best friend and I hope she's happy out there in the fictional land somewhere. Yeah, same. Uh, I totally agree. I think Rufus probably does kind of edge it out just because of the humor there. And if I had mm-hmm. to pick an arc, at, if you're going to force me to, I would say maybe uh, Mateo's arc just because I, f- I feel kinship with it. But mm-hmm. um, they both, I think Rufus's arc is a little like subtler and a little harder. It's not as linear, yeah. I think, but um, they're both so, so well done. And then Swoon. 
You have, you beat me out for this one. This is the ultimate one. So I'll let you read it first. All right. So this is right after they finished their karaoke song. The song ends. I catch my breath and I breathe in everyone's applause. I breathe in their love and it energizes me to grab Rufus's hand while he's bowing. I drag him off stage. And once we're behind the curtain, I look him in the eyes and he smiles like he knows what's about to go down. And he's not wrong. I kissed the guy who brought me to life on the day we were going to die. <laughs> so I think good. I like had to close the book and put it down and like have several deep breaths after yeah. that. Oh my God. And it also comes on the heels of like, do they dance before? I think that maybe afterwards where they dance, like whispering in each other's ears and there's this like Slow beautiful, mo- oh my God. And like, while there's a fast song playing and they have like intense mm-hmm. co- eye contact. And I think you're in Mateo's POV and he like says something about like how I'm glad that like he's whispering in my ear, but I like miss like the little loss of his eye contact. Like I want mm-hmm. him back. It's just, it's, it's all really well done. I was like highlighting mass passages. I'm like, I can't reread the whole book into the podcast, but <laughs> all that was really well done. I have written then, um, I would have loved you if we had more time. And I just, that like stopped me in my tracks and it does ultimately build to Mateo having this discussion of like, we're always waiting for the perfect moment. And I'm just going to say it. I love you. I do. I love you. I love, and then like, uh, so it builds lovely, but just that one line in particular, like mm-hmm. was beautiful. There's this little short lines about that. I think there's another one earlier. That's like, where he's like, Oh, it sucks that that's the last time I'll ever dream. And like just those little those yeah. little bombs. It fucking yeah. hurts. I also want to briefly shout out Rufus buying Mateo the Legos um, mm-hmm. because Mateo has said if he grew up, he wanted to be an architect. And so Rufus is like, show me what you got. That's really sweet. And then I also love Mateo playing your song at the piano and he's not very good at it, but that's what Rufus is listening to as he dies. I think too, I mean, it came after that, but that's a, a pivotal red, white, moment royal, in red, white, royal, yeah. blue. This book also... I would love to hear if like Adam Silvera is just like a low key or maybe high key Moulin Rouge fan, because there is a lot of discussion of come what may. And then your mm-hmm. song is also in Moulin Rouge. Uh, so I, I loved that because I love that movie a lot. So, um, yeah, that's, it's just, it's lovely. And I'm so happy he had the video of it. And I love how that comes full circle then at the end where uh, Rufus is able to leave a, a note for Mateo's dad being like here, look at here's my Instagram here's what we said our last time it's gonna be there oh I'm getting emotional now it's time to wrap (laughs) it up wrap it up good fuck (laughs) it is I'm glad we I'm glad we did this one yeah no it was it was definitely worthwhile reading and I um probably was kind of subconsciously avoiding it you know for the death of it all and Mm -hmm. I'm I'm glad we did read it because it's great and I can't wait for the show like I said so what are we doing next well, next week we are back on our throne of glass train and uh, we're going to be covering Assassin's Blade by Sarah J. Mass. It is a prequel novella, but works best after reading the first two books. So that's where we are covering it. And this one is going to be full spoilers ahead, choo-choo, um, because it is largely just a lot of like foreshadowing. It's a lot of little sneaky hints and stuff there's players that come in that don't show up until much later books um there's really no way to discuss this book without going full spoilers ahead so that's what we will be doing exactly and so um if you're not joining us on our throne of glass journey why aren't you joining us (laughs) honestly (laughs) like if you're looking at the covers and being like eh i get it i get it but they are so worth it i promise yeah 
but next month, I know we had said like, we were going to break up like third of glass episode, non third of glass episode. Mm-hmm. We like backed ourselves into a scheduling corner. We were going to try to do assassin's blade with the next book air fire. And then realized that that was too much to do. So the month of February is going to be all third of glass two episodes. Sorry. Um, but yep. not sorry, join in. You have time then to catch up, uh, before we dive back into something non thrown class in March. So stay tuned for information on that. Um, in the meantime, Tasia, where can our listeners connect with you online? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Ragey Cakes. And I'm on Instagram at Rin underscore reads. You can find the podcast on Instagram and Twitter at Act Your Age. And you can shoot us an email if you'd like at actyourage at gmail.com. And again, as always, if you wouldn't mind rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts, we would greatly appreciate that. Um, so friends, thanks for coming on this sad journey, but hopeful journey <laughs> with us today. And we will see you soon. Bye. Bye.